Hello, Seraphim. Welcome to episode 11 of The Voice of Seraphim, recorded on January 22nd, 2011. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the recent forum crash and the unexpected server downtime during the scheduled standard chromatic singleton event before getting on to everyone's favorite topic, the recent spoilers from Mirrodin Besieged, including the Zeniths and Thrun. I've actually talked about the spoilers so much that this episode had to be split into two episodes. So there's no crack pack this episode, but stay tuned to episode 12 for the rest of our reviews of the Bearded and Spoilers, and, of course, crack pack What happened to the forums? Well, this all happened when I was not here, so mostly it was taken care of by Plague Dogma, but from what I can understand, uh, we had a lot more spam bots come on all at once onto the forums and start posting things, and apparently some, some kind of malicious like virus got onto the site or the forums. I'm not sure how you know how that works exactly. I'm not into that technical part of it, but apparently it did infect Pasta's computer uh, and possibly some others. I'm not sure, but the result of that was uh, Plagama went through. He deleted and banned the IPs of all those accounts that were spamming us, got rid of their posts, and he decided to uh, shut down the boards until you know we could figure out what happened and how to prevent. Uh, us from getting spammed in the future. Just so everybody knows, hopefully if we have to take down the forums again, uh, there will be a bit more notice, or at least there will be a more descriptive message than just Banana Fist. Oh, is that what it said? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I tried to change, well, I changed the message this morning to be something a bit more descriptive, and then obviously the forums came back, or were enabled again. Uh, not too long afterwards, so so we're looking into more anti-spam software to put onto the forums to hopefully keep that from happening again. Uh, what's probably going to happen? Well, things we've been discussing lately is uh, like adding a new form or a new field to the registration process. Uh, you know, like a simple question that any human being would be able to answer with that would give a bot some issues to uh, to be automated for. So hopefully if we can figure out how to do that, uh, we should be able to take care of some of these bot issues because apparently the, uh, the other security measures we've put into place thus far haven't seemed to them down that much. Well, that sucks. So how long was the uh, site down for? Um, about 24 hours, I guess. So what else is there in the way of uh, clan news? Well, I guess we could talk about rescheduling the tournaments. So we were also struck by a bit of bad luck last night with the uh, unexpected downtime. Maybe about an hour or so before the tournament was supposed to start, maybe a little bit before that even, uh, the Magic Online servers went down unexpectedly and stayed down till I'm not even sure how long they were down, till at least 11 or 12, because that's when I got on the next time they were on. So uh, I'm not exactly sure when they came back on, but either way, they made us miss our tournament and... Uh, more than likely, we'll just have to reschedule it to, to next week and then push everything else back a week, or forward one week, I guess you can say. So I have gotten a few messages of people saying that they do want to reschedule the Chromatic Tournament because they were looking forward to it and they'd already built their decks. And I guess apparently Chromatic is uh, becoming a rather popular format, at least thus far, so we're going to go ahead and reschedule that and play it again next week. So are you planning on the Friday time or the Saturday time, or how will you do that? Hmm. I don't, I'll, you know, I've been debating that back and forth, but I'm not exactly sure how I want to do that. Uh, does anybody have any thoughts on that? For the rescheduling? 
Yeah, you just want to do it, you know, do it on Friday or do it on Saturday? Probably be best to do it on Friday again, just from the standpoint of it is release weekend. But it's not release weekend on here, though. And I mean, But if anyone plays paper, it's going to probably put a dent into it. Oh, I understand you, but a lot of people on here, a lot of people on members of our clan don't actually play paper, so you got to take into consideration that. But yeah, I get your point. Well, my only thought would be, you schedule, I mean, it, may, it might make sense to schedule it on Friday. I mean, there are arguments for both sides, but, uh, you know, we do have this kind of promise that, you know, we will have at least two tournaments on Friday and two on Saturday each month. And so we did have this one that missed a Friday, so that's one down. So it might be just more to go ahead and do it on Friday again so people that, you know, might not be able to play on Saturday get a chance to have their tournament. But it could be biased. I just like Friday better. Overall, it is a traditional day to have tournaments. Okay, so that takes care of the last event and the upcoming event. Kill two birds with one stone. Is there any other Seraphim Clan news? Oh, um, yeah. There will be, the, well, the next Austere Reckoning post will be up this Monday, so be sure to watch out for that. They're basically scheduled to be every other week. So we did the first one, and now we've had a you know a break from that, and now we're going to start it up again. Uh, so Monday, just watch for that, and it'll be up for another week, and then we'll move on to the next month. So this one will be kind of the uh, determining factor for this month, whether or not you know the activity goes through. So. Okay, and for those that are new to the clan, can you uh, explain the austere reckoning? All right, basically, I'm going to. Uh, put a Austin Reckoning post up on the main page, and it will link you to the membership, sh- the membership, the membership section of the forums, uh, the Seraphim forums, and there will be a, a thread with uh, you know the current date for the Austin Reckoning. And all you have to do in that thread is just reply to it and say here. It's part of a or part of the activity policy, and the point of that is just to check that you're active on the forums and that you're checking the web page and you're checking the forums and things like that, and all you have to do is, if you're a new member, you have to respond to uh, all of the Austere Reckonings. There are two per month. You have to respond to those for at least the first, I think it's three months of your stay in Seraphim, but for those that have been for a longer time, obviously they don't have to respond to both. They can only respond, or they only need to respond to one per month. That's simple enough to keep up with. I'd also like to add that if anybody wants to to see a true drafter, then you should look up um, Eldritch Holmes' newest um, draft videos on, what is it, draftmagic.com? Uh, well, yes, you can go to draftmagic.com if you want to see uh, a Master's Edition seal that I played a while back. I went 4-0 on that one. Uh, it was actually pretty fun sealed. And also, I just recently posted a Master's Edition draft on our YouTube page, uh, the first one, and I played in a 4-3-2, or 4 3 uh, in that one, so you can also watch that if you're interested in how to draft or play Masters Edition for. I don't claim to be an expert, but I think I've figured out at least partially how it works. Yeah, yeah. So anybody that wants to see how our um, how our leader works in his magic ways can check it out. Well, anything else in uh, Clan News Department? Okay. Clan Convocation. Convo what? Vocation. Clan get together. Oh, that, yeah, does anybody want to add to that? Like, you know, um, tr- dream trip about we're going to have at Gen-, Gen Con, possibly? Oh, Gen Con? Yeah, that's been, uh, that's been a very long-running, um, um, 
um, goal of Seraphim is to try to get as many members of the clan as possible to all join together in, um, in person at Jinkon and just have a really fun time. Yeah, that'd be cool. One day. One day. So, any upcoming events you, like, you want to let everyone know about song? Like, I'm kind of curious when our next when our next standard tournament and block tournaments are. Alright, well, our standard tournament was scheduled to be next Saturday, but since we're going to move the chromatic tournament to that Friday, that'll get pushed back to the Saturday after that. And then the block will follow the standard one the week after that. Pasta will be joining us tonight. So did you guys see the announcement about Player of the Year and how it will be handled? No, I did not. Now, how are they handling the Player of the Year now? Well, on Saturday, February 12th, starting at 9 a.m. in Paris, I suppose that'd be Paris time, during the three-round bye period of Grand Prix Paris, they are going to have games one and two will be standard. Games three and four will be double-sealed deck. Games five, if necessary, will be double-sealed deck. And games six and seven, if necessary, will be standard. Both players will use the same decks they played in the standard portion of Pro Tour Paris. The double-sealed portion will consist of six Scars and Mirrodin booster packs and six Mirrodin Besieged booster packs. Um, it will be the best of seven Four out of seven, huh? So what do you make of that? It definitely limits their options. So well, just imagine just, you're able to bring other sealed, other uh, constructed decks you had along with you. You could be playing white-blue control one minute, and then the next you're running Valakut. They'll be playing Pro Tour Paris in the like, Player of the Year showdown will be going down like consecutively. So it's whatever standard deck they bring to that event. So will they have played the standard portion of the event before they play one another? In other words, will they know what they're going to be up against? I'm pretty sure they'll know what they're up against before they play each other. That's wild. That seems like it would make a big That's difference. Well, no, not, exa- not really. I mean, they can't, they can't change decks. So, I mean, they'll have to play the same deck, and it won't matter, really. I mean, for the most part, I guess, like, knowing what someone's deck is and knowing how they played with that would only really be a factor, like, in game one. Because after game one, they both pretty much know what the other guy's deck is. Unless somebody brings something really crazy. Oh, man, yeah, you don't have to change your deck. As long as you just as long as long you just know what your opponent's playing, you, you, you already have got kind of an advantage. Because, you know, like, if you're playing control, you know what to, what to save your counters for. And, you know, and you know what uh, what to save your removal for. And, you, you know, you know what their threats are and what their, their not-so-big threats are. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I imagine that my team, you know, will probably play... Some kind of control deck. That seems to be his style. Who? I'm not sure what Grab will play, but I think he probably will play... I would think he'd play some kind of Valakut deck, but I'm not sure. Who are you guys rooting for? Brad Nelson, for sure. Oh, Brad Charlie Nelson Brown for the win. Charlie Brown for the win. You need to stand by the U.S. And plus, Brad Nelson is just... This year for him has just been insane. Like, he's done so well in so many events. He definitely, I think, deserves Player of the Year. Yeah, whatever happened to the guy that won uh, Worlds last last year? Did he uh, ever pop up again in like in the tournament scene? Well, I don't know who won Worlds last year. You know, the one we we all sat here and watched the game. He was um, he had a really hard name to pronounce, like Kuto or something like that. Probably. Uh, Saito. Yeah. So the, the master again. 
that, that was a complete disaster. Iceman one showed us who was one of the greatest players in the clan, I guess. <laughs> Even in the mirror match, I could impose uh, an opposition. That guy's badass. That was a good game. Let's not spoil yeah. too, too much. Yeah, I I did fuck up in game one a couple of times, and I was just like, wow, did I actually do that? But you, Iceman, you never do the sort of noob mistakes that you know that someone else would figure out like thirty seconds later. Why did I do that? Iceman never does that. He probably does, but you just don't notice it because he's really good at keeping it. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. But uh, this man's yeah. not really a person; he's a calculator. He's uh, yeah, he's 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 great to play against. I learn a lot. Thanks, Iceman. No problem. So we have our unofficial clan Somok tournament done. And Eld, I am sorry, but I guess you have to do another little picture for Iceman. I suppose you're gonna start running out of form room. He's <laughs> 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 gonna have to have two pages for just his own uh, his signature. It's an official uh, it's alright. Maybe Fisk can make a signature. <laughs> a signature trophy. A signature trophy. That's that's what it's all about. I'll make you one. You're gonna regret that, but I'll, I'll make you one. It's gonna be ugly. At least it'd be homemade. I mean, you can't be homemade. Actually, I'll have my bitch make one. She's actually a pretty good artist. And then we will do a scan and send it to you. So, Iceman, select the card. So, Solomon, have you ever got uh, fussed at for stealing PDC, or not stealing, but uh, borrowing PDC, PDC Magic's idea for um, tokens? <laughs> Whatever they're called. Just kidding. Nope. Which, yeah, it's actually, it's, I, think it, I think he really approved upon it, the idea, too, because it, you know, it's definitely an interesting um, way to reward someone for their deck's you know, performance. Yep. Another yeah, interesting thing about it is that it just it just catalogs all the all the decks that people have played. So it's kind of nice that if people are looking for, you know, what decks have been doing well on tournaments, and they can just figure out who got first place and go to the Hall of Fame and click their trophy, and it'll take them right to where they posted their deck. Oh really? Did they link? They're linkable like that? Yeah, I linked them in the in the Hall of Fame. They're linked. So if you go there and click on a trophy, it should take you to the, the thread where they posted their deck. Nice. So, would, so would you guys say that Iceman's has is, has won the title of having the most trophies, or has somebody else got that title? No, Iceman's got that title. Iceman has five. Actually, I got seven. Seven. Lordy, lordy. It's impressive. Mm, yeah, I'm still winning my trophy. That's gonna be a long wait. Iceman, when are you gonna write a book? I wanna read that book. Yeah, him and Patrick Chapin could get together and write the like the Magic Bible. For anybody that's a fan of Patrick Chapin, you, know, you would know what I'm talking about. Patrick Chapin's cool. He's doing really good in the uh, Grand Prix Atlanta right now. Yeah. Isn't, are you guys thinking about going to the Magic Cruise next year? Or this year? Going to the what? Magic Cruise. 
magic cruise. What is that? You get on a cruise ship and you play some magic. Yeah, and there's a, a lot of a lot of pro players are on that trip, and a lot of um, developers and R and D people are on there. And it's just you know a big magic playing environment, and then you get off at wherever the, wherever the boat's going, and you have some non magic fun. I've never heard about, about this before. So well, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very new event. They've only they've only done it maybe two times so far. I think it's, if you ever watch the magic show, they talk about it a lot. I think a magic cruise sounds pretty badass. This episode has a lot of awkward silence. Yeah, it does. It lacks uh, organization and leadership. Is this the podcast? Is it happening? I know. Now? It's it's sad. You can't even tell. I mean, is, I mean, seriously, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's been on for a wow. while. Aren't you excited to be here? I guess we're just going to go over mirrored and besieged spoilers. The ones that we haven't been through. How about that? Are we going to start in any kind of order? Because so, I would like to throw up the new Tesla real quick. We are a few guys in the clan who have um, gotten into Legacy. And we're having a great f- lot of fun. And I would just, you know, like to throw an anchor out to anyone else who's, like, considering getting into Legacy. Anyone who's, like, looking at it or thinking about it, please talk to myself think it's great, great fun. We have been quite successful in in the two mans, whatever, but uh, I just want to, you know, th- throw an anchor out Legacy. It's one of the four mans that we don't play that often in the clan, but it's quite fun. Yeah, I might have to hit you up on that. I might try and build a Legacy deck. I got a couple ideas. I just haven't uh, got the cards from yet. I'm playing it, and I'm really indulging the format. I, I, I like it a lot. Um, nostalgically and whatever and it's really fun but we are so far at least three players and out of those three players two players have all the decks so if you want to play test test ideas or just talk legacy please you know send me a pm or in the forum or whatever but it would be fun to to sort of grow that community within the clan that are playing legacy yeah, we actually have, I mean, we have, our play group is pretty diverse in this clan. We have people that play pretty much every format. You just kind of have to, like, talking in the clan chat is not a good, it's not the best way to get a game. If you really want a game, and you, and you think you think a person might have might play that format, then you just, just PM them. The worst they're going to do is they don't want to play. You know, but half the time you will find somebody who, you know, if you PM the right people, you will find somebody who plays the same format as you. Yep, absolutely so, Pasta, did you have any um, anything that you wanted to bring to our attention? Anything special? Um, in an 8-4 draft. Oh. What are you playing? Master's Edition, dog. You're loving that stuff, aren't you? Yeah, it's quite enjoyable, and uh, Triple Meriden's gotten stale. I. So you guys just want to go over the spoilers? Sure. Eldritch, were you trying to pipe in there earlier with something? I think maybe we should try to isolate some of the more interesting cards and go over those. Okay. Well, I'll need your help doing that. So um, I guess we'll read off of, we'll go to MTG Salvation. Seems to be the source. Can anyone chime in on those? Yeah, yeah. I think um, first, there have been 99 
of the 155 cards spoiled? That bitch ain't one. Are they only 155 <laughs> cards? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, the first ones I'd like to go over are the basic lands. Yeah, I'm in the... I'm in the web page. Uh, are they at yeah at the bottom? Yeah, there are two plains, two islands, two swamps, two mountains, and two forest. No way. Yeah. What do you guys think of that? That is. I can't even see. I, I can't even see the pictures. You know, I I could you know give you comments on the art, but am I doing something wrong with this web page? Nope. We do not know the art. So why don't we start with white? What what uh, which cards stand out to you? I think all the zeniths and all the colors are going to be pretty big. They're going to see a lot of play. I mean, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of the beacon 2.0. So I mean, no saw play. So you can probably um, some of them. I mean, some colors will see more play than other ones. But well, I have to mention uh, Victory's Herald, the angel of the white, the set. You would. It's got some sick artwork. And yeah, and that's definitely a pretty big bomb. And limited, that's going to be amazing. Am I the only one that thinks that Hero of Bladehold looks really interesting? Or am I just being pathetic? Yeah, so we all think it's pretty awesome. and We kind of discussed it a lot in the last few podcasts, so we're just trying to choose different cards now. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. But back to the, the Victory Herald. I think Consecrated Sphinx. <laughs> I mean, Victory's Herald is kind of cool. I mean, my only problem with Victory's Herald, I think it's too expensive. It does kind of carry on like the tradition of those, like six mana constant angels that we've had for like the last few sets, like Angelic Arbor and like Abomination Angel. But I think this effect is pretty powerful. Definitely, definitely more powerful than the uh, Angelic Arbor from M11. So Victory's Herald is a 4-4 angel. It costs 3 and 3 white. It's got flying. Whenever Victory's Herald attacks, attacking creature gains flying and lifelink until end of turn. Yeah, that's really something you want to exploit. Am I the only one that's... I just got so stuck up on the Consecrated Sphinx. Now, if someone has a Jace and uses a Brainstorm ability of Jace, Draw three cards. You draw six cards if you have the snakes. Yeah, that is pretty awesome to me. Well, if somebody's using Jace's brainstorm ability while you have that Sphinx in play, then they're desperate. They should be returning the Sphinx to your hand. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is, you know, the Sphinx is four and two blue. Now... My latest standard baby is a blue-green deck, which is basic. I would be able to throw the things uh, on turn three. Just remove some of my tights, you know, maybe one Frost Titan less, and maybe an Avenger of Zendikar less, and I'll have two of these Sphinxes. I'm wondering how that deck would actually perform with one of these Jace killers. Well, that so, Sphinx is going to be a big target. I mean, your opponent's not going to want to let. I mean, your opponent's not going to want to let you have a, a beater, a flying beater that can draw you tons of cards every turn. Yeah, yeah. And the particular deck I'm thinking about, it's basically it is a, a blue and green turbo land deck. It already has targets written all over, you know, 
it basically has target practice written all over its face but you know that's why it won 26 creatures and most of them are big and nasty and they just keep on coming and maybe yeah. this this sphinx could actually be too at it's flying four six for six mana you know could get away with that it, it just seems to me that this card is it's going to be like a limited bomb, and it's going to be a good in like commander multiplayer formats, but I don't see it being good and constructive when there's so many other really good cards that cost six mana that do so much more than this does. Like Frost Titan, for instance, six mana plus all the things you get from Frost Titan is just so much more useful. It has such like a, a much larger like immediate board impact than you know the Sphinx does. And you know if you want to like play a Sphinx, I'd, I'd rather much rather play Sphinx of Draw Isle at five five with Shroud that can actually survive and get in for some damage, as opposed to this one. That's just such a big, like, you know, the event says, such a big target and relatively, you know, easy to kill. Yeah, but yeah. never never underestimate the power of card advantage. It's a very strong aspect of the game. True. I don't know. It's in standard right now that could force the opponent to draw cards. Can we combo that? Because Elder's absolutely right. It's never going to fly um, by its own. I think a format that it might actually be good in is um, not maybe not standard, but I think it'd probably be good in block constructed. I mean, that format doesn't really have too many strong creatures. I mean, blue blue whites are what the strongest archetype in that format, or one of them. So I think you could probably find a home in there. Yeah, perhaps. But um, go ahead, and Dax. What was the next card on the list? What you calling? <laughs> Dax. Hey, hey, I, I'm I'm on title with my own names for people, aren't I? Absolutely. Yeah. Scourge, you wanted to talk about the Zeniths? Yeah, the Zeniths are going to see some crazy play. I have seen the... I just saw the Sun's Zenith now, but I've seen the green one and the red one. Can we go through all the Zeniths? Yeah, are they, sure. Are they spoiled, all of them? Yeah, I think they are. Who, who, okay. But, yeah, can we have someone walking us through all the spoiled Zeniths? That'd be fun. Alright, well, I guess we can just go from the top then. We've got, like, the, well, the Zenith cycle of the, you know, I guess the theme they've got going on so far is it's going to cost, they have one for each color, each one for each of the moons of Mirrodin, or I guess the suns of Mirrodin, uh, and they have, it costs three of whatever the color is plus an X, so they're an X spell. Uh, and the, the main theme of these cards, though, is that once you cast them, they perform some effect, and then they're shuffled back into their owner's library. Yeah, it's a callback call to um, the, the Beacon Cycle in uh, Mirrodin. And for those that are not aware of what the Beacon Cycle was, you would cast like one of the Beacon cards, and then if you met some kind of condition, you could return that Beacon card to your hand. No, it would um, shuffle into your library. Yeah, you're thinking of the Pulse Cycle. Oh, you're right. Pulses, Beacons, whatever. Recurring cards. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the White Sun's Zenith costs 3 white and X and sorcery, and the effect is uh, put X, 2-2 two, two cat creature tokens onto the battlefield, and then you shuffle it back into its owner's library. I think this one doesn't have that many constructed applications unless somebody... I mean, if they were, like, cat knights, possibly, but just the fact that they're just normal cats, they're just tokens without any kind of creature type besides that, doesn't seem that effective to me. But you mean you are putting two twos out versus other cards that just put a bunch of one ones out, so, I mean, that's kind of a... And then if you got stuff like, um... If you're playing, like, a white wingy type deck with, uh, Honor... I can't think of it. The, the, honor of the, the Pier. Yeah, Honor of the Pier, that could be pretty, uh, devastating. It seems to me like this one's more of a... Like a 
multiplayer card. I also don't see that, like, White Weenie decks having that much mana to play with it. Maybe I'm just not, you know, obviously I haven't tried it, so I can't really say for sure, but it seems like it's one of the weaker of the Zenith cycle. I mean, well, the- even if you cast it for just, like, two tokens or three tokens when you've got nothing else to play on your turn, it could be a strong play. You know, like, if you've just been wrapped, if you just been Day of Judgment and you're, you have nothing left to play except for your Zenith. It's true. They might see playing some crazy Eldrazi Monument builds. Good point, too. I mean, you know, those kind of decks love cards that spit out tokens. And they usually have SS mana, especially with all the Eldrazi tokens. I mean, you can replace your 0-1 Eldrazi tokens for some 2-2 cats. Who wouldn't want to do that? Also a good point. All right, the next one is Blue Sun Zenith. Uh, like the one before, it costs 3 blue X sorcery. Target player draws X cards and then shuffle it back into its owner's library. I would, like, I would just like to mention the awesome thing about this card that is it's at instant speed. I mean, we don't have that much card draw instant speed. That's pretty awesome. I think blue players have been waiting for this. They don't have Mindspring anymore, and this is going to be the new Mindspring. And it's much better than Mindspring from the standpoint of that it's instant speed. Yes, it might cost more, but that one cost for instant speed card draw is going to by far see play everywhere. And it can also target a player or any player, so... Like, say your opponent's only got, like, five cards left in their library, you can just make them draw their deck. It's also not special, not special though, is that since it gets shuffled back into the library, you get, like, the more cards you draw, the, like, the more the more likely you are to draw this card again. So if you have four E's in your deck, and you just keep drawing cards with them, you're more and more likely to end up drawing this card, like, uh, frequently throughout the game, the more you use it. To be honest, if I'm just trying to apply it to my standard decks that I'm running now, I wouldn't use the blue zenith. It's way too slow. Jace's ingenuity is, you know, one of the cards that's instant as well. Five mana, draw three cards. Blue zenith, mm, I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. I just like the fact that, you know, it just draws, it'll like, it cleans out, it filters your library for you, and then it gets put back in there, so you just, and it just like, it's, it seems like it's a pretty powerful card advantage. It may not win, it may not win the game for you, but. Like, you know, maybe like maybe one of the seven cards you draw off of wins you the game, you know. Card draw, you know, gives you more answers in your hand. If you're drawing seven cards, you have way too much mana. Yeah, it's a bit expensive. The three blue that it costs to, you know, even start the spell is... In the right control, it's not bad. I mean, in this, in this meta game, people have a lot more ways, have a lot more mana these days. I mean, ever since the rise, the... You know, the curves have kind of changed, and the, the um, people's ability to get pump out more mana faster has definitely increased. My goal, my call is that it's not going to see a lot of play. That's it. Because it's not good enough in a blue-white, blue-black deck compared to what we have right now. Yeah, I can see that. Because, you, you know, you look at the control decks right now, not many of them are playing that many card draw effects. Besides Jace the Mind Sculptor, which is... Just not only card draw, but just so much else. If we, till I think, October, November last year, we used to see a lot more of the Jace's ingenuities in both Rug, Blue White, etc., and those types of decks, but they, if we're looking at the MTGO results, but they disappeared fairly quickly and were replaced by preordains and, you know, cards that would actually not give you card advantage but depth in your deck so i just want to end this um this discussion on this card with 
Spencer's journal in his car can make an interesting um, casual idea. All right, so let's why don't we go on to the uh, black sun zenith? Uh, this one costs two two black and X, and it's a sorcery. Uh, put X minus one minus one counters on each creature, then shuffle it back into its owner's library. This one, actually, I honestly think we'll probably see more constructive play in it than, than half of the other ones we discussed, or all the other ones we discussed. Yeah, this one is this one's amazing. It's sort of like a blackboard sweep effect that can get really crazy. Yeah, it's a black board wiper that, and um, it's kind of like a mutilate, except that's a little more um, mana, uh, you know, inefficient, but still, I think it's good. I mean, all you really got to do is put a few points into it, and you can really devastate your opponent's board. Yeah, I completely agree. This one is two black and then X, so this one is a lot more viable than the white and blue ones that we looked at before. You know what's amazing though about like the Zenith cycle is that you know a lot of times when you get a board wipe you don't you want to sit there and hold it in your hand until you know the the opponent's field reaches some kind of critical mass where you can get the most value out of playing your board wipe. Well, what's nice about these Zenith spells is that since they go back into your library, you can use this early game if you need to to get you know keep the you know the pressure off, and then you're not really wasting a card because there's still a chance that you can draw it again in your deck. The thing is, we can put this into real application. You know, one of the top decks right now is the blue-black, as we know, you know, from Worlds and whatever. And what kind of board sweep does the blue-black deck has have? Well, that's a two-black and three-colorless spell, which would uh, kill all creatures with converted mana cost below three, I think. Right? Consume the meat. Yeah, exactly. So here we go, and we have two black and X, and we can basically achieve the same thing, but a bit more. So this is definitely a strong addition into the blue-black control deck, the one that is, you know, ruling the the dailies and MTGO right now. I don't want to say that it's better than Consume the Meek, because Consume the Meek is an instant, but this one has a lot more possibility. It works well with proliferate. Um, I think the danger class as well is a combo. Exactly. And that was, we've already seen just from these spoilers, there are, are a lot of really decent proliferate cards. So, you know, we haven't seen the, you know, all of them, I think. So there might even be, you know, some proliferate cards that are worth playing, you know, constructed, you know, besides like Contagion Clasp, etc. Why don't we go to Red Sun Zenith? Uh, red Sun Zenith costs one red X. It's a sorcery spell. Red Sun Zenith deals X damage to target creature or player. If a creature dealt this way, it would be put into a graveyard this turn, exiled it instead. Then shuffle Red Sun Zenith into its owner's library. So it's a fireball that can be moved back into the library. Yeah, but it can only hit it can only hit one target though. That's the big difference between fireball and this. Yeah, true, yeah, true. There's a few other big differences. The, the primary one is that it doesn't actually destroy the card. It'll exile it. Right, but how often do you want to use a, 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 like an X burn spell on a creature? I mean, there's some cases when you got when you have to, but most of the time you want to hit your opponent with this. You want to exile Venge Vines, anything that goes back to the graveyard. You could you know, even use this spell on like a Worm Coil Engine. The thing is, you know, it's like if you look at the predecessor, something like Comet Storm. It was used in the um, 
uh, in the nationals of I think it was New Zealand. That's that's you know one of my first sort of eye openers to to uh, Velikit. And that guy used uh, Comet Storm in his build. I've tried it as well, and you know no one is running it. I'm not even running it, and no one is running it on MTGO. And this is this is just another one. I I don't think that this card, if I if I could apply this card to the current standard format, I would I wouldn't use it. It's not it's not good enough, in my opinion. I would use it. It kills blood gas. Yep, kills blood gas. I like it because it kills venge vines. I mean, it kills a lot of really relevant creatures and. And it can be used to do direct damage to the face. And plus, the nice thing about it is, uh, this is one of those, you know, it's not as good as Letting Bolt, but the thing is, like, with a lot of, you know, big burn spells, like I said, like, for the black one, you tend to save those until you get some good, you know, card advantage from it. But with this one, since it goes right back to your library, you know, you could use it to kill the small guys, and then it'll go back to your library, you could draw it again, and use it for even larger targets later in the game. Yeah, listening to you guys, I immediately feel that I missed a valid point. You are looking at this as a one red, one X removal spell to just exile blood ghasts, whatever, small critters. Like oh, not just, I mean, you know, you, you can use it to get rid of stuff that red has a hard time dealing with, like, you know, stuff, like, mainly stuff with four defense or higher, like, you know, like Baneslayer or, or like a Primeval Titan. That's stuff that red has a hard time killing usually. So it is good in that factor. I think maybe this card might be more sideboard tech. Like, you might, if you're playing. You know, some kind of red, you might want to, like, side out some of your, like, arc trails, things like that, whatever, if you just want to, if you're playing some kind of, like, Naya deck, or some kind of Vengevine deck, or some kind of mini vampires, just one of those things that you bring in for specific cards that you can't deal with because they just have so much recursion. I know, I'm going to be adding it to my mono red uh, commander deck, that's for sure. Let's talk about Green Sun Zenith now. Alright, Green Sun Zenith is one forest and X, the sorcery spell. Search your library for a green creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Shuffle Green Sun Zenith into its owner's library. This card kind of reminds me of Tooth and Nail, and I, I know, which, I, which is a card that basically let you snook, sneak really large creatures in the, in the battle without, you know. So I think it's, it's not really the same in that because as you got to spend the same mana as you spend on the, on the Zenith to get the creature out. But... I don't know. I mean, it might be. It might just be a casual card that people will go and play in the casual room to try and get the biggest creature they can out on the battlefield. But I, I don't know. I think a deck like Valakit that generates a lot of mana could probably use this to get Primeval Titan out really fast or something. I'm just thinking of you know this card with Fauna Shaman. Um, you know, I'll have four more Faunas. You know, I'll fetch a Fauna, and I'll fetch something and. Well, I think this this card has applications, definitely. And if you, if you move down the line for, b beyond standard, go into extended, go into uh, well, instance. Sometimes you need this one on a Galactique. I, I think this card is going to be expensive. I've also heard a lot of speculation on it, like in el like including it in elf decks. In an elf deck, you need to get your tutor when you need it, might. So here is four more tutors. Welcome. And you know, in an elf deck, the most expensive tutor uh, or the most expensive creature is what three, four mana. So this is very viable. And think about it this way: it's 
it's um if saying you have enough mana for it, it's basically like drawing any creature in your deck when you draw it. You know, you know, you don't even necessarily have to play a big creature. I mean, surely you you probably would be a better option, but just you know, you could play this in a toolbox deck. You know, just say you you need like you need your artifact removal creature, or you need your you know whatever creature you need for the occasion. You can just go use this card to get it. You know, if you have enough mana to do that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just built a zoo deck in uh, in Legacy, and I could use one of these because it's great to fetch utility creatures. You need to, just like you said. You could even play this card with um with with, with creatures of colors you don't even have the mana for, like like if you have a green black creature. Well, that's true. As long as they share, as long as they at least cost green mana, they should be able to be fetched. No, exactly. And well, zoo doesn't have that many utility creatures, but still, you know, many of the other legacy decks have green as. I want to fetch my Tarmogoyf. You know. Look at that. Oh, that's going to cost me one green and two XX3, and then I'll get my Tomagoyf. That is powerful. So, I'm getting these ones a playset immediately, as soon as I can. Alright, and that was all the Zenus. Um, I was going to go back to white and a Phyrexian Rebirth. See what you guys thought of that sorcery spell. Four and two white. Destroy all creatures, then put an XX colorless horror artifact creature token onto the battlefield, where X is the number of creatures destroyed this way. Seems more like a gimmick card to me because there are a lot easier ways to destroy all creatures, like in standard, especially, you know, this day of judgment would be far more, you know, simple to, to do that. Plus, you know, I don't see that the XX creatures being that relevant for some reason. Yeah, I tend to agree. This this card is slow. Thing is, when I throw my Day of Judgment, when I'm playing blue and whites, it, I don't really need an XX creature. I throw the Day of Judgment, then I probably put out, you know, something that I already have, either Planeswalker, you know, I, I'll probably have a Gideon or whatever. I was say, the thing with, uh, like, this, like, destroy all creatures effects is that typically the decks you want to play them against are, like, the aggro decks. And so it's really important to be able to throw down a Day of Judgment on turn four, the way you can survive and kind of disrupt their their tempo. Uh, the fact that this is two turns later for a lot of decks, like if you're playing like Red Deck Wins or like even Boros, things like that, or like White Weenie, those kind of decks that just go really, really fast and can get huge in a few turns. I mean, the fact that it takes you two extra turns to cast it is probably going to be, you know, you losing. It's, you know, four and two white. It's six mana. Wow. On turn six, playing a control deck, I should be already, I have already whiteboard once or twice, and I'm putting out one of my titans. I don't think it's going to see tier one play. I think it's good in seal, but probably not in constructed, I suppose. Maybe for No, exactly. That's what I meant. Uh, constructed tier one, I don't think that this card is going to see play. I think it's just another example of the fact that they're trying to support multiplayer more, because it seems to me like there are a lot of cards in this set in particular that are just geared, or that are just more effective, more fun, and more useful in multiplayer formats. Yeah, that's a very good uh, point, actually, Eld, because, yeah, in a multiplayer format, if we were playing a three-headed giant, this card could be a possible, you know, game-breaker completely. Why don't we talk about Treasure Mage? Well, 
Treasure Mage is a two and a blue. It's a creature human wizard. When Treasure Mage enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost six or greater. Reveal that card and put it into your hand. If you do, shuffle your library. Wow. So fat ass trinket. Like so fat ass. Exactly. The one the deck that this really like that really needs this card in particular is the uh, Grand Architect deck in block. Because there's just so many times when you are playing that deck and you just keep drawing more land, you just keep drawing your you know your small creatures, and you just want that worm coil engine, or you want that mirror battle sphere, or you want that steel hellkite, and you just need some way to get it out of your deck. And so it's kind of nice to be able to just to fetch it with this treasure mage. Well, th- this card to me it seems a bit too powerful. Put it in context. Put it in an affinity deck. Put it in a extended deck. You want to, yeah. If you want to fetch the worm coil, here we have a way to fetch every single artifact. Well, this reminds me a lot of um. There's a card like an onslaught block, and I can't remember the name of it. If anybody, if anybody remembers, let me know. It was an elf that basically, when it came into play, that you search the library for a creature casting cost six or more and put it in your hand. Or, yeah, put in your hand. And that was quite playable. Uh, you know, you still see that in a lot of commander formats and multi- multiplayer formats. So I can definitely see this thing uh, being quite playable, if not standard, any older formats or multiplayer formats. But you'll probably still see playing standard as well. I think it was Crosin Drover. No, I don't think that was... Actually, I don't think that was the name of it. It was something with the E, if I remember right. Oh, Fierce Empath. Exactly, yeah, that was it. We could talk about Hero of Bladehold's red brother, the Hero of Oxid Ridge. Hero of Oxid Ridge, it costs two and two red. It's a creature, human knight. It has haste and battle cry. Uh, and then it says, whenever Hero of Oxid Ridge attacks, creatures with power one or less can't block this turn. Battle cry is a new effect, so I think that we will see some exploits of battle cry. Maybe red, white, you know. Could be red deck able. wins. Red deck. You think so? Yeah, maybe that's the new red deck wins. My only problem with this card is that typically, like the decks that you see that have a lot of like one powered creatures, aren't those like the red deck wins, the white weenies, the boros, those really small ones that have like the plated GOP, step links, things like that? It just seems weird that they'd make this card. Like, I mean, the decks that want to play this would be those aggressive decks that tend to have those low powered creatures. I think it's going to be very viable just from the standpoint of it beefs all the other creatures with it. It has haste and it's a 4 2. Yeah, you know, my problem just is the fact that I don't see the, the second ability as, as being real, you know, relevant, especially when you compare that to how awesome the Hero of Bladehold's ability is. Yeah, but the second ability is just fodder in comparison to everything else. I mean, look at the rest of it. Yeah, and, uh, as a two of, you know, you'll throw this and turn four when you already had three or four creatures out, right? Haste, all the other ones get plus one. You can throw it turn two if you have two pyretic rituals. Uh, not, 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 not in standard, but yeah, uh, I get your point. Pyretic ritual is in standard. Sorry? The card he named is in standard. Oh, okay. Yeah, but nobody plays the card in standard, which is almost the same thing as it not existing. So, you know, red doesn't have a, a good, you know, red egg wins in standard right now is... It's not viable, it's not winning, it's not doing well. Before this rotation, I used to run Reddick Wins because I, you know, thought it was fun to burn people out. But, you know, 
we had health sparks, we had ball lightnings, we are you know, we had all sorts of fun things. Compare this hero of Oxridge compared to a ball lightning. It's a bit pale, in my opinion. It may not, I mean, Red Dead Wins may not be tier one, but it always has a place, and it's, it's you know, it, it's efficient. It's always been an efficient deck, just because Red always fits out good, cheap, efficient creatures and burn, and that's all you really need to win if you're if you got a good enough head start and you know what you're doing. True, Ridge. I don't know. I'm not convinced. All right. How about you guys want to talk about Thrun, the last troll? Bomb. Just ridiculously good, and we'll see lots of play. It'll probably be expensive. Alright, so Thrun is two and two green. It's a legendary creature, Troll Shaman. Uh, Thrun, the last troll, can't be countered, can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, and for one and a green, you can regenerate him. And he's a 4 4. Extremely efficient creature. The thing is, you know, I, I, I hear you guys, everyone all over, you know, the whole planet, on Twitter and whatever to be a bomb. Can you guys help me out? In my four mana slots, in my deck that's running green, where would I put Thrun? Well, the thing to keep in mind with him is that you've got a situation where he can't be targeted. Uh, he's not going to get hit by uh, Consume the Meek, which is a pretty commonly used sweeper right now. And the only thing that really takes care of it outside of um, being infected is Day of Judge. Am I missing something? Because, you know, in my... In the way I see Thrun is that he's going to be a, a two two of in my sideboard, in my uh, green-blue deck. I'm not going to, you know, Vengevine is a lot better for me. Um, am I missing something? No, that's fine if your deck's aggressive enough, but he's there. <laughs> he's there when you face down a deck where you need him, such as he can't be countered, he can't be targeted. You're going against Burn, he's going to be a bomb. You're going against Counter, he's going to be a bomb. You're going against any other deck where any of his abilities are viable, he's going to be there to get you out. Yeah, so he's going to be my sideboard plan when I'm going to sideboard out my Vengevines, and then I'm going to take in Thrun, if I'm yeah. facing, just like you said. I mean, just think of what, what, what one of the top decks is right now, Blue Black, you know, and this guy... You know, unless they discard out your hand early on, this guy is going to wreck against them. Well, actually, what I've uh, what I've read, at least heard of the card, is that in the deck that really wants them would be like extended decks that want to replace the Great Sable Stag with Run. And what about uh, uh, Terminate or that's Destroy, so you can regenerate him, but then you need six mana in order to do you that. And same, he can't be targeted. He has one-sided shroud. You can target him if you control him, but your opponents cannot. Yeah, so the only thing that can kill Thrun really is, a, like, board sweep effects. And if you can find an efficient way to give him an indestructibility or a way to get past, you know, there's cards that can do that. So even then, it may be even harder to kill. But that's that's really kind of focusing too much on no one card, so no one's going to do that. Well, and the only real big negative with Thrun is that he is legendary. A point that would be interesting to throw out is that, you know, he, you can actually kill him pretty easily if your opponent has one too, and you just throw it out. You know, legendary rules has been used as a, as a removal spell in the past. Yeah, but your opponent has to be playing green, uh, which means they have to be committing pretty heavily to green. I know that he's going to probably be showing up as a general a lot in EDH. So what do we think? Thrun is a beast? That's what I think. I think it's safe to assume that. Yeah, he's going to be pretty big. 
I think he's a good utility card. I think he's one of those cards that you need to play against certain decks that will give you a good matchup against them. Uh, I don't think he's like a, a card that will define a new deck, but he's definitely going to be very, very good. Uh, you know, I don't know. This is, like, this is not very like a, a very good comparison, but I kind of see him as sort of being like Austin and Bailoff back in, when Jun was there. You know, one of those cards that you're like, you know, it's one of those things that if you're playing against Jun, you won't need to have these Austin and Bailoffs because they're so awesome against that type of deck. And right now, in the extent you know, the cards that really want this card are like fair, you know, against fairies, against you know those decks that just need to have some kind of target that can't be just wiped or countered or things like that. So against control matchups, so I feel like it's just going to be a card that's going to fit into that kind of niche and be pretty powerful for a while. I think he's more than utility. Uh, I think you're going to see some decks more focused around him. He's not just going to be a sideboard option. There, there's some tricks you can pull with cards that exist now that we haven't seen to power him up. You build a deck around him. I'm thinking green-blue, and you can destroy with this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think he should. I think he should be including anything that 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 can support his casting costs, really, and, and it's an aggressive style deck. I mean, you know, he could even I mean, he could even throw me a control deck for you know if, if you wanted to, just because of the fact that your opponent wouldn't be able to get rid of him very easily. He could just he could just keep hitting, swinging back with him. I'm inclined to pre-order some Thrones just because Pasta said it's going to be good. He is the Don't. master brewer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pre-order that. Those prices are stupid. <laughs> My prediction is you'll see Thrun the Last Troll level out at 12 tickets. Uh, my prediction is that Poss is going to open a foil on at the pre-release and it's going to sell off like 100 ticks. Uh, yeah, I don't bet against certainties. <laughs> so that's it for episode 11 of The Voice of Seraphim like to thank everyone who joined me in this episode. I'm Dag Hacks, your host, and you've been listening to the Voice of Seraphim. Mm-hmm.